0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to Real Job Talk. I'm Kat Royer.
1: I'm Liz Bronson. Hey, Liz. Hi, Kat. I am so excited today to have our first guest, the extraordinary Angie Veros. I met Angie about three years ago and was so impressed with how she knew about finding and assessing and engaging with candidates. Angie is the owner of Via Talent, a recruiting company specializing in helping companies build their recruiting pipelines. And what I love about her is that she runs her business with integrity and hard work, and she cares about her candidates and she cares about her clients and she does the right thing. She's also an awesome speaker and MCs Talent 42, which is a technical sourcing and recruiting conference. So, today we're going to talk to Angie about the side of recruiting that's always changing. It's sourcing which is kind of the engine that makes recruiting happen. Hi, Angie.
2: Hi, Liz. Hi, Kat. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself other than my uh, intro?
2: Sure, sure. Absolutely. Well, that was very kind, Liz. Thank you for the nice words. I have been in the business for about 15 years. I am actually a stockbroker turned recruiter. Mm-hmm. Uh, got into the business after September 11th uh, when the financial markets plunged and I wasn't able to find a job. So my recruiter asked me to join the company she was working with and become a recruiter. And uh, I've been doing it, like I said, 15 years. I absolutely love it. I hated it when I first started. It was cold calling and cold calling and cold calling and trying to get clients and trying to sell candidates jobs. Um, but I got to the point where I found a spot that I was very comfortable with helping people find jobs um, when they were in dire need. And so I've worked in a number of different organizations, small, large, private, public, you name it. And uh, I founded my company because I had this passion to really work the way that I thought was the right way to work with candidates. And since then, I really wish I could have saved a number of how many people I've actually placed and helped, uh, mm-hmm. helped find jobs. A couple thousand, I would actually have to say. And it's very rewarding. It's rewarding to find people, get them their dream job, and then also meet the expectations of clients. So that's my story in a nutshell, and I'm sticking to it. Awesome.
0: Well, why don't we start with some of the basics? Like, what is Sourcing.
2: Yeah, sure. When I started doing sourcing, it was actually called research. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's pretty much what it is. It's digging in maybe some not uh, not well-known places to find people. So when you're looking for candidates for a specific role, obviously you've got the internet. You're going to go and you're going to do your, your searches on the internet. I'm that recruiter and sourcer who has 4,000 tabs open at the same time. I open up something. It'll lead me to the next page, and then that'll lead me to another page, and then I'll dig here, and I'll dig there. So really, bottom line, sourcing is research. It's trying to identify what you're looking for. Yeah, pretty much it.
1: And it's funny that you call it research because it's exactly what it is. And I love the tabs image because you go down the rabbit hole, but in a calculated way when you're sourcing. And there's so many tools out there also that we'll get to in a bit. We all remember like sourcing used to be rusing. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: When I think of history of sourcing, I think rusing, right, Angie?
2: It's it's so funny that you mentioned that because I've never heard that term before. I'm going to be completely honest. What? Yes, I know.
1: they're the folks that would call into companies and be like, Hey, your sales team just won an award. Who oh, should yeah. I send those to again? And they'd get like the names and contact information for the whole sales team. And then they would sell those names. Yes. yes. To yes. And I'm sorry, I have not heard it in that
2: context before. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, you're, you're right. And a lot of people, that's, that's what people fear too, that you're going to go and you're going to buy a list and call right into that. And some people may do that, you know, some people may do that, but I really think that um, there, there are a couple different parts to sourcing. It's that uh, that research piece where you're going out and you're actually finding the people, and then like you said, Liz, uh, we'll talk a little bit about tools. But then the engagement piece, and I believe that that is also part of the sourcing function as well. And, and I'm sure you probably have some questions on that, so I won't step ahead of the curve.
1: <laughs> so, how has the internet changed sourcing, and how can people expect to be found by sourcers?
2: So, I think that. From when I started, you know, we had job boards. We were looking on Career Builder, we were looking on Monster to try to find candidates, and we would look for keywords. Now, remember, I was a stockbroker. I had no idea how to be a recruiter. So, when I got a job from, you know, one of the managers in the office, they would say, We need a PHP developer who has experience with agile methodologies or whatever. And so I would type in PHP and I would type in Agile and I would try to get those candidates. So I think that if you're a candidate and you're looking to stand out and want to be discovered, that you have to include some of those keywords because that's what we as sourcers and recruiters look for. There's others that dig a little deeper than that, but absolutely. If you're not creating a profile, if you will, or a resume that does have those uh, keywords, you're not going to be discovered. And a lot of people do it intentionally because they do not want to be discovered. No <laughs> mm-hmm. mystery. Behind. Yes, absolutely.
0: So what would you say are the biggest differences between sourcing and recruiting?
2: So I think that that's like the million dollar question. Everybody wants to know what the difference is. In my opinion, because there are a lot of opinions within our space, uh, I think that the, the one main difference is the full life cycle. So I think Mm-hmm. sourcer is the person who's really going to dig deep and do the research and find that appropriate candidate for the job and will also engage. How far the engagement piece will go, it really varies by company, but I think in a perfect world or maybe in my perfect world it would be <laughs> the sourcer would do the research, find the candidate, engage the candidate, get them interested, and then hand them off to the recruiter, where the recruiter's role would be to take them through the process. So Angie Sorcer, thank you for sending over this candidate. I'll take over from this point. And then the recruiter takes the candidate makes the introduction to the hiring team, puts them through the process. It's that whole entire candidate experience piece Mm -hmm. where the recruiter will actually have the time to nurture that relationship. Not to say that the sourcer doesn't want to keep that relationship with the candidate, but in order for a sourcer to be successful and continue finding more folks to send over to the the team, it's it's very time-consuming for them to hold that candidate's hand through the entire process. So it's that fine line between that handoff over to the recruiter who will actually manage the candidate through offer, and then hopefully from the point um, where the candidate does join the organization, then it'll go over to HR or whoever the onboarding experience team is to make sure that that you know the candidate experience journey moves over to the employee experience. Does that kind of make sense? Totally makes
0: sense. I you know I've worked with sources in the past, and uh, a good one is so beyond worth their weight in gold, right? Oh. I'm curious just is it
2: challenging for you to let go of the process once you hand it over? So it's kind of funny that you asked that cuz I love the relationship with my candidates and you know you figure you're going to send one or two or three or five messages um, and you're going to have communications with them and so yes you're going to when you're going to send them off to the recruiter you lose that that relationship I always leave it off with Okay, although let's say Liz is going to be taking over the process from this point forward because that's the way that our process works, Mm -hmm. you know, please don't ever hesitate to reach out to me. Let's definitely connect when it's time for you to make a, a different move or whatever the case may be let's definitely stay connected because I am at the point that they touch. So I definitely want to continue that. And I think just extending that, they feel appreciated that, oh, you're not just going to pass me along to another person. And I'll tell you both, Kat and Liz, these candidates have come back to me many, many times after the fact and said, oh, you had once reached out to me about a job at this organization, and it was great working with you. I'd love to see if you can help me you know, with any other way. So it's kind of bittersweet. You're sending them off to a better place, right, (laughs) To, to to go through the entire process, but you want to leave it open for them to continue communicating with you. And
0: then following up with you speaks to your relationship skills.
2: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: Which is awesome that you know that always feels good when someone touches base after years, right? Because they remember you because yeah. you probably l- left a positive mark, which is you know always a goal. Yes,
2: yes, and I do, I do. Now, now, that you mentioned that, I do actually have a really very quick, funny story. When when I first started in agency, the people that I worked with were in the business for a really long time, and they were a little, they were a little old school, and they would say, mm-hmm. you know, I'd get on the phone and I would be screening someone and. And the team would say to me, you're not their shrink. You can't help them. If you can't get them a job, throw away their resume. We had paper resumes then. And I said to them, but no, you know they need a job. They need help. Why shouldn't you build a relationship? And they said, just move on. If you want to make a placement and get the money, move on. And I didn't. And they would make fun of me. And I always say, and I bring this up at all the events that I speak at, that my first placement ever was a young girl who I placed at Bank of America and she is still my friend. And that was 15 years ago. And she sends people my way when they're looking for jobs. And, you know, we, we've built a relationship. And I think that it's more than just, hey, let's play somebody or let's get somebody. A job. It's building that relationship and becoming a trusted person in this space also.
0: Absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's, that's the, yep. the end goal for sure.
1: And and it's a good way to get referrals and all of those good things. But there are a lot of people, Angie, in the sourcing business and recruiting business, but that don't do that. They're, they're all about the numbers. They're like, I reach out to 10,000 people and yada, yada, yada. And so... Tell me a little bit about those people, not that they're the pinnacle of what have you, but for our listeners that are looking for jobs and trying to weed through the serious offers versus the not serious offers and trying to figure all this out, like there are people like all of us on this podcast right now that are relationship based. And then there are people that are numbers based. And so can you sure sure.
2: And you know, I think it's kind of like a a catch twenty-two sometimes if you're doing high volume recruiting and you need to Put butts in seats, which is what your goal is in, in your you know in your organization. You're going to go out and you're going to, for the lack of a better word, spam a bunch of candidates. You're going to go and you're going to do mm-hmm. uh, a big email campaign and send out messages to people that you've barely looked at profiles, and that doesn't look good. You know, if I'm on the receiving end and I'm getting you know, dear sir, or hello ma'am, or whatever that makes me as a candidate not feel important enough for a recruiter to actually take a look at my profile. Whereas if you're on the other end, Mm -hmm. which is what I always talk about the the highly personalized approach and you can do that. And there are tools out there that can help you automate some of these things. But at the end of the day, you still do need to use your human skills. Mm -hmm. You are looking at that person's background, their profile, their resume, and you're going after them because they are looking for a job, obviously you're looking to fill a job, but it's about them. You want to present something to them that is of value. What's in it for the candidate? You don't want to just be sending a, a note out to a candidate because you need to fill the job. You need to make them feel as if they are important, and they are. Mm-hmm. It, it, going to be that person that's going to take that role within your organization. So there is that fine line between the high volume and then just the, I guess, regular, right, recruiting where you're looking to fill one rec and it's a very highly targeted type of individual that you are seeking. I'm a firm believer in more time spent on putting together a better approach as opposed to less time in sending out mass messages and hoping that something sticks.
1: Oh yeah. I'd rather reach out to 10 really great candidates and nurture that than a hundred not right candidates. Like I, I couldn't care less about your numbers. I care about your yield and your accuracy. So that being said, like who do sorcerers work for? Who – who do they work for?
2: Oh God, I wish I knew. <laughs> <laughs> and that, I think, I think that varies also. Mm-hmm. I think that, mm-hmm. that it could be a partnership. So there's always that line that you can or cannot cross with the source or recruiter relationship. And then there's that hiring manager. So I believe that in order for a sourcer to be successful in what they do, they need full visibility into the business. Mm -hmm. So they may be working in partnership with a recruiter and be passing off a candidate so that the recruiter can take them through the process. But I believe the sourcer needs to be in the process from the very beginning. And that means in the intake meeting or whatever term people are using for an intake meeting with the hiring team knowing all of the specifics that are not on the actual job description, culture, things like that, and working together strategically as a group as opposed to, okay, Sorcerer's gonna find the person, Sorcerer will pass to Recruiter, Recruiter will take over to the hiring manager, and then they're done. I think it needs to be a team effort in order for everybody to be successful. And I can tell you that's how I feel I've been successful with the the teams that I've worked with. When I work with a recruiter who I feel is working against me or as a competitor, that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. If I feel that I'm working with a recruiter who's on the same page with me and and we're all striving for the same goal, then the entire department is being successful. Mm -hmm.
0: If you were going to give advice to a recruiter, right, who's working with a sourcer, that would be to to include that sourcer into the key components of the search, like intake needs assessment, all, all of that stuff. When you can actually hear the voice of the hiring manager and what's important to them that's not on paper, that's really important. Mm-hmm. I lean on that heavily when I, when I
2: do a search. Absolutely. And then for the recruiter to also give the sourcer full visibility as to where they are in the process. I'm working with a team right now where she's including me on every single step of where the candidates that I initially found are within the process so that I know, so that when that candidate does get the job, I can be the first to congratulate and say, yes, we spoke a couple weeks ago, but now you got the job. Congratulations. Because that it's that relationship piece again. So that full visibility needs to be there. If it's not a partnership and it's more of a, um, well, you said you do this and you said you do that, mm-hmm. it doesn't work.
0: Well, it's also being able to loop back at that stage of the game. That's, that's where all the juice is, right? I mean, we're, we're in this game to to help people find land jobs and to be able to loop back with the candidate. That's the best conversation because you have generally one of those conversations per search, hopefully. Absolutely. And, you know, how many other conversations are you having with folks, you know, telling them that, you know, they didn't make it through the process? Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. Yep. I will say as someone who uses sourcers, what I like to think of it as is my sorcerers allow me to do more in one day than I can do myself. So I want them to be my eyes and ears and look at things through my eyes and treat candidates the way I treat them. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, I often don't get to sourcing because I'm dealing with current fires or what have you. And so I don't want to bring them into every single thing because I want them to have that time to spend Mm -hmm. on sourcing that as the front end person, I don't have because I'm chasing people down for availability or negotiating offers or what have you.
2: Correct. Yep. Yep. Completely agree, Liz.
1: So let's talk about the how. What are some tricks that sorcerers use? Like give us the good stuff mm-hmm. of how is that sorcerer finding me when I've tried to hide myself off the internet? Or how, The question I get from people is, how'd you get my name?
0: Yep. Yep.
1: And of course, mm-hmm. in the digital age, it's like, how didn't I get your name? But but like, how do sorcerers do their job? How are they finding people in a professional way?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think that there's one right way to answer this. I think that it's trial and error with a lot of the things that are out there in the digital age. If you are not able to be found, uh, you know it's, it's hard. It's, you're going to be found no matter what. Mm-hmm. However, there are a lot of people that do not want to be found. I have friends where when I Google their name, I can't find anything about them. They're not on Facebook. They're not on any social media. So how do you find people like that? I don't know what the right answer is. There are a number of tools. Back in the day, and I say that, you know, back in the day when I started in recruiting, I had paper resumes. We found people on job boards and we would go after them from that point. Then came LinkedIn, and it was a professional network, and people would go onto LinkedIn and look for profiles there. There are hundreds, thousands of tools out there that you can go in that will build Boolean strings Mm -hmm. for you to go and locate candidates or just provide you with a list of candidates. And it's just a matter of, I think in today's age with technology, the easy part is finding them. It's finding the candidates, finding enough of them in order for you to get results. I think the difficult piece uh, lies within the engagement. What are you doing differently to stand out from other sourcers and recruiters in order to engage the candidates? However, I also think tools and technology come and go, right? There Mm -hmm. are great tools that may not be around in a year or two. And then what do you do when you're not able to find people? So- and depending on the skill set that you're looking for, will determine where you go to find people. And to answer their question about, you know, well, where did you get my name? Mm-hmm. I mean, like Liz said, well, where did, where would I not find mm-hmm. you? When I was a broker, when I used to work for Morgan Stanley, people would ask me that as well. And we weren't in such a digital age back then. Mm-hmm. But they would say, well, how did you get my name? And my reply to them, which my boss had taught me then, was, you know, have you ever filled an advertisement card? Like you buy People magazine and they have an advertisement card, or have you ever submitted an advertisement advertisement card somewhere to get some information to get a brochure or whatever. If you have, well your information is public. Same with the internet. You're on um, on a website and you want to read a blog and you submit your information, well guess what? You just sent your information all over the place. I mean we're not gonna get into that, you know, Facebook privacy talk no, or there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee they're gonna keep that information private. Correct, correct. And big deal they don't want to be found and you know you get rejected as a sourcer or, or a recruiter, you move on and you go to the next person. There are a million ways to answer the how question. How do you find people? You just have to try and see what works for you. Right.
1: I also think of, you once showed me some fancy-dancy sourcing on Facebook, and it's like people put on there where they work. Yeah. Well, friend, if I'm looking for someone who works at CVS Pharmacy, and you put that you work on CVS Pharmacy...
2: Gotcha. I'm going to find you. Exactly. You don't have to be that creepy stalker who's going to message the person on Facebook and say, Hey, I see you work at CBS, (laughs) right? But guess what? There's a tool that you could use while you're on Facebook to get that person's email address or phone number or Google that person's name in order to get a phone number and find out where they live. I mean it gets a little creepy, right? You're not going to knock on their door, but you can find their information and then you can send a nice little message to them and and give them something to bite on. You got to give them something interesting. And if you do, they'll reply. You know, with email messaging too. Like look at the subject line. If you're sending a really cool subject line to someone, a, a cool message with a nice, you know, unique subject line, chances are they're going to reply. But if you're going to send a message and you're going to say something like BVS, your next biggest career opportunity or whatever. No one's going to reply to something like that. So yeah. How
0: would you recommend that someone identify like who a good sourcer is and maybe a not so good sourcer?
2: So how do you identify? I mean, there are there are actually some sourcing games and sourcing tests out there that can test people's knowledge to see how good they are as far as what they're using for their sourcing techniques um, you know, a good sorcerer is someone who is going to take the time and really find out what the job entails to go out and, and target and find the right profile, find the right person for the role. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A not so good sorcerer is just going to spam somewhere and, uh, hope that it sticks. And that's, that's not a good sourcer You know, I think it's just really taking a step back and determining what the needs are for the candidate taking the time to really work with your hiring team and know the job. There were times where I had no idea what a, you know, a Java developer did and I would just look for keywords and message people with keywords. And I've done it. I mean, we've all done it. I've made really bad mistakes where I've reached out to people that were not Java developers. They were Java recruiters, but they had the word Java in their profile. So a good sourcer versus a bad sourcer, just take a step back like a good student, take a step back and learn that you know what you need to be looking for and, and target those you know target those people
0: like uh, a, a good anyone it's learning from learning from your mistakes along the way right correct correct absolutely
1: I guess it goes back to what you were saying about them be really being on the team, but you know sometimes i would say in internal sourcing teams and external but they can be a little bit removed. So do you feel like if you're connecting with someone, if you're in the middle of a job search, is it better to be connecting with sourcers or recruiters? Like who's got the influence over the hiring manager and can like get me the job? Who's going to fast track me to the job?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. And I don't know that there is, I don't know that there's the perfect answer for that because I think it's going to vary. I really do. I think it's going to vary by organization. And I think it stems down from top bottom. You know, if you have an organization that believes that talent is your number one priority, I mean, you hire the best talent, well, then work with your talent to bring in better talent. Can I say the word talent one more time? Um,
1: <laughs> Maybe. So,
2: you know, talent. So, you know, you have to, um, it, it, it really will depend on the organization. If I'm a candidate, I want to go to that person who will fast track me and I won't know who that person will be. So I think uh, I'll probably try everybody. And see who's gonna be more receptive without seeming like I'm, you know, stalking also hiring managers. And the hiring manager is gonna have that final say. The recruiters will have some say as well. And the sourcers, again, I've worked with companies where as a sourcer, my my voice was heard and it was heard loud and clear when I made a recommendation. And then I've worked with other companies where unfortunately I didn't have access to the hiring manager and it stopped at the recruiter, Mm -hmm. and the recruiter looked at me as if I were the enemy and they didn't want Mm. to move the candidate forward where I knew, or at least I wanted to know that deep down inside had my recruiter just pushed a little bit to get this candidate in front of the hiring team, that there was a chance. It really is hard to say. I mean, go to the the decision maker who's going to make the decision, It's really hard to determine as a candidate. I don't know, and if I'm a candidate, it's difficult for me to determine. I'm a sorcerer now, so I know the ins and outs. But you know, my sister, for example, was looking for a job, and she came to me and she said, "Should I go straight to the hiring manager? Where do I go?" And I did a search, found out who the person was responsible for hiring, put her in touch with that person, and boom—you know, she got the job. But we
1: know this; they don't. Candidates don't know. Mm -hmm. The candidates don't know what the relationship is. Yes. So, you don't know if I'm the recruiter who's putting down my sourcer. And same with internal, external. Like, you just don't know. And I I think often the sourcing and the recruiters can be working really well together, but the sourcing kind of a silent partner so that the hiring manager has one point of contact. Mm-hmm. You know, it it just streamlines the point of contact situation. And so... You can go to any of them. It just depends how they work together. And if you knock on one door and it doesn't open, knock on another. Correct. Yep. Absolutely.
0: Got to be willing to knock on those doors.
2: Absolutely.
1: As uncomfortable as it may be.
2: Right. I mean, what's the worst case? Worst case scenario, they tell you I'm not the right person. And if you ask politely, too, you know, as a candidate, there were times where, you know, I'd find the person who was responsible for hiring and I would just say, Hi, Kat, I came across this job and I'd be interested to learn a little bit more about that. Would you be the right person to speak to? And if not, can you point me in the right direction? It's, you know, you're asking someone for some help and most people would give it. Mm -hmm.
0: The indirect question that, uh, We've all used that as a recruiter. Would Would you know someone who might be interested in this job? Yes, yes, and, and that that way, yes. that way, it's not too um, invasive. Yes,
1: you do a lot of conferences overseas. You do work overseas. You have people that work for you overseas. Tell us a little bit. And I know that you know, moving operations, recruiting operations overseas has been happening more and more in big companies. So tell us a little bit. More about, like, I got, I just got an email from someone in Bulgaria. Like, is that just bunk or is that for real? Oh, Hel- yeah. Help me understand the overseas piece to sourcing and recruiting. So
2: according to GDPR, I can't say anything. No, I'm just joking. I'm <laughs> joking. I don't think I have a perfect answer for that, but I know a lot of companies are moving their operations overseas because it is cost-effective. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to have a sourcing team in India, let's say, it's going to be a lot less expensive than having a sourcing team in the U.S. Uh, I've worked with companies that have sourcing teams in Poland, in Bulgaria, in Romania, in Greece. And sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. Here's the reason why. I think that when you're working with a sourcing team that's offshore, there's a disconnect. Mm -hmm. Uh, As a candidate, I'm not going to want to get a call from someone who's offshore for a job in the US. Now, if offshore teams are doing the research, finding those people and getting them over to a team in the US to engage, I think that's a different story. There are a lot of pros and cons with using offshore. Obviously the cost is a a pro and then the... um, the time difference can be a pro and a con as well. So if the you know, overseas um, office is ahead, you, know, you get the US sourcing team or recruiting team or whatever can come into the office on a Monday morning with names on their desk there's a language barrier, there is a time difference, there are the accents. I mean, there are a lot of pros and cons with that. And I think each organization would have to take it in strides. I think if there's a true partnership and the company works in building a global sourcing function, it can work. But I'm not a pro and I have worked with some overseas companies and there are a lot of uh, different rules, a lot of different rules between US and, Mm. and other organizations. So it it does vary. You you need someone to come in and really build that function out for you.
0: And it probably needs to go back to the company having that commitment to talent.
2: Exactly. Absolutely.
0: What advice do you have for candidates who are about to embark on their job search?
2: So I think aside from obviously wanting to find the right job, have a little fun with it also. And reach out to people for expert advice. I know that when I was in school, you know, we had a career center where I had a counselor and I can go and I can speak to them about getting um, feedback on my resume or, you know, who I should interview with or who I should be talking with. And I'm hoping that that's still around and people are getting that. But I have worked with some entry level candidates who don't get that advice and don't get that help. And so as an entry level person, use your network, use your connections, talk to people who are in roles where you need some um, advice and don't be afraid to, you know, to go out there and, and seek help and advice. Um, you know, it, there, there are other organizations that will help with mock interviews, um, you know, join those organizations and, test them out. You know, I volunteer for some of those where I've got entry level, you know, kids coming out of college who don't know how to interview and I'll spend four hours in the evening and I'll do mock interviews to prepare them so that they're capable of going out into the real world. You know, as an entry level or someone coming into the workforce, do those things. Take that extra step to make sure your resume is up to par and talk to people that will help you with your interview techniques. And then you'll definitely be one step ahead of everybody else.
1: She just summarized our whole podcast, Kat. Oh, wow. And it wasn't planned. (laughs) May we use that for
0: future reference, (laughs) Edgy?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. But it's true. Interviewing is a skill. And make sure that you're confident in your skill within your your career or your, your industry and make sure you're ready. So that you don't get all flummoxed by the process, and I think that understanding the process is helpful, also. Absolutely, as, as you just said, mm-hmm. like because people go in, and they don't know. Like, I mean, I talk, I've talked to people who have been lifers at one company, and they're like, "What do I expect?" You know, mm-hmm. they don't know what to even expect. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Adjusting those expectations all the time. They think that they talk to someone on Thursday and if they haven't heard anything back by the next Tuesday, they're out of the process. And it's like, oh boy, let's just take some breaths here and realize that this is not something that you have control over and you're in the game until you're told you're not in the game
2: yes mm-hmm. yes yeah I, I agree and I think it's the the visibility and transparency from both parties so the can you know the recruiting team and the organization have to be transparent and let the candidates know what the process is Don't assume that the candidate knows they're not going to get the job if you didn't tell them, you know, you have to, you have to tell them. And then from the candidate's perspective as well, there, again, there is no course on recruiting and interviewing and what's right and what's wrong. So, um, like Liz said, don't get hung up in the process and then fail because of that. I would love to teach a course, uh, and Mm -hmm. teach people how to interview and what to expect and what not to expect, because it's unfortunate. There are a lot of people Who've been doing this a long time and don't have never switched jobs, or people coming into the workforce that don't know how to interview. And I think that that's that's a whole other episode that we can definitely talk about. But yeah, I I absolutely agree with everything that you both said.
1: Well, and you know, again, shameless plug, but I think that if it's worth it to spend a little bit of money, if you can, on a coach, even for an hour to someone like any of us on this call right now, Mm -hmm. in an hour or two hours, can. Take you from being clueless to being prepared without a whole like deep dive, who am I, career coaching? We can do that too. Oh, yeah. But with a how do I prepare to interview? You know, I had someone a couple months ago in my office, literally spent an hour with me because she didn't know how to prepare for a job. And that hour helped her have the confidence to go off and get the job.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He was
1: also pretty awesome, and so that helped Yeah,
2: well, of course. (laughs) There's only so much you can do as a coach to get people prepared, but then they go and they get the job themselves. Right. And uh, I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's very, very well worth the investment to get that upfront expertise and just knowledge going into something because you'll be so far ahead of everybody else knowing how to go in an interview. I mean, some basic things of, you know, going as, as simple as what should I wear and how should I talk and bring a resume. I mean, people my sister called me up. She's been out of the workforce for 10 years, 12 years. She's been working on her own. And she called me one day. She goes, And I'm almost at my interview and guess what? I forgot to bring a resume. And I'm like, that's okay, because they'll have one. Mm-hmm. And Just tell them this. And I came up with something and I told her something funny or whatever. And it was fine and they laughed about it. But there are people who don't know that they need to bring a resume with them to, Mm -hmm. uh, or they need to bring a notepad or whatever, like little things like that. And what questions to ask. I mean, you can equip a a, a job seeker with three questions they should ask at the end of the interview that will get them the job. And, you know, sometimes people don't know. Do you have any questions, Kat? Nope. Okay. And then they're not considered as a kid.
0: You've just got me there, Angie. What would those three questions be?
2: Oh, oh my goodness. It
0: would depend on the job, probably.
2: I think it would depend on the job, but I always like to end when I'm interviewing, and gosh, I haven't interviewed in a long time, but but one question that I would ask would be, I always ask for their expectations, like what would be the next steps? Mm -hmm. Because you want to know. And then I ask them, you know, was there something on my resume or that we didn't discuss that you'd like to know about me? Because then you're just kind of leaving that open as well you know, a question like, are there things on my resume or on my background that would make me a viable candidate for this role? And if not, what am I missing? Mm-hmm. Um, what do you like about working at this organization? You, you know, you want to ask questions about the, the person interviewing you as well, because you want to get that personal feel too. Like you've been here for five years. Why? What do you like about this place? Sure. So there could be a ton of questions that you can ask, obviously pertaining to the role, but there's always those very, very basic generic questions that I think you should ask. At every interview you want, you know, it's, it's a conversation. It's not, it's not where you go in and the, the hiring manager is going to interview you and ask you all the questions. It's got to be a conversation.
0: Well, you're interviewing them too, which is one of the key tenets of this podcast, right? If you're out there in the mm-hmm. job search process, you're interviewing them just as much as they're interviewing you.
2: Correct. More. Yeah. And people, But
0: people don't
1: know that. It's people.
0: your job. It's your job to make sure it's a good fit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Your
1: life changes, theirs doesn't.
2: Right. Correct.
1: But it, it's so true. And like, I mean, I turned down someone this week because she didn't ask any questions about what it was like to work that she didn't, quote, she did not seem curious about us. Yeah. That's her bad. Yeah. She was told to do that. Yep. But uh, and
0: it her bad. Yeah. Never say I don't have any questions. Never, never say you don't have any questions. I will, um I note that, yeah. you know, if someone doesn't have any questions, I'm like, whoa, where's the curiosity? Yeah.
2: Yes. Yes. And did they do their research too? Right. I always ask uh, candidates too. So tell me what you know about our company. And when they come back and they say, I don't know anything or, oh, I didn't have time to research. Well, that shows me that you're not interested enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So
1: what do I do to make sure that I get recognized by sources? And I understand that this is, so I'm embarking on my job search. I want to come up in people searches because I want to get offered roles. And I understand it's different for different industries, but what are some things that I can do to my public persona to help me get noticed or found?
2: Sure, sure. So I think just very simple, basic things. I mean, have a nice resume, you know, a one-page resume, get a career coach maybe to help you out with that, you know, put your qualifications at the top. If you're a new grad, put your school, if you've got a great GPA, put your GPA. Some people look at that. So the Mm -hmm. resume, right? Make sure you've got a nice resume. Upload it to a pertinent board. You know, if you're a tech person, put it on Dice. If you're, or on GitHub or whatever, where, well, GitHub, you don't put resumes, but you you get my point, right? Make sure you have it somewhere where people will go looking for it. Not everywhere. I think if you are everywhere, then you're probably not a viable candidate because you're out there spamming yourself as much to get a job as recruiters are spamming out there to get candidates. (laughs) You know, as much as we might like to think that LinkedIn is, might not be the place to go and find people. There are a lot of people on LinkedIn. So make sure you have a nice profile on LinkedIn. Make sure it's nice and clean. Keep it engaged. Put in your summary. Put in a picture so that you are found. Put in your your contact details. Put in your email address so that people can find you. And that goes to say also with social profiles. Now, Some people feel differently about social media, but let's face it, if you Google your name and you have some social media presence, you're going to find yourself. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you're wanting to be found, be careful of what you're posting. Companies are Googling your name. So if you are active on Facebook, and yes, that is your personal business, make sure you've got some legitimate photos up there. Don't put something crazy on there if you want to be found. I mean, you can. Some companies may not want to hire you, but... You know, just, just be cognizant of what you're posting out on social media because people will do their research their research, and try to find out as much as they can about you.
0: And it doesn't go away. Correct. You know, something you posted 10 years ago can still be there. Yeah, kids.
2: Exactly. Exactly. I
0: mean, you know, you can do some damage control. You can, you can work with your privacy set- settings and buckle
2: things down a little bit. But, uh, you know, just be careful what you post. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. If, if you want to be found. Now, if you don't want to mm-hmm. be found, <laughs> different story other podcasts.
1: <laughs> but I would say LinkedIn, for especially for the corporate world, is the Rolodex of the corporate world. So you have to yep. have a profile with keywords. Yep. I've had hiring
0: managers who say, oh, I don't even need to see the resume. Just give me the name and I'll go over to LinkedIn. So that's how important the LinkedIn profile is.
2: Yes, yes. And they're doing the same. You know, they're checking out our profiles on the recruiting and sourcing side. And so they want to see someone legitimate. So do we. You know, we want to see someone uh, who's got, you know, doesn't have that they've been working at CVS for five years. We want to see what they're doing at CVS and we want to see their education and we want to see a biography. We want to see some, some meat in that in order for us to engage with those Mm -hmm. folks. Mm -hmm. And what industries do you specialize in? Oh, gosh. I think I've done them all. I do a lot of technical. Um, That's my passion. It it always has been. I started off in financial services just because of the background that I came into, Mm -hmm. Um, but I've worked in technical, healthcare, medical, administrative. I think I've worked on almost any kind of industry that you can possibly imagine. Marketing, you name it. I think it's all the same. It's just recruiting and sourcing is the same function. You're just changing your your specialty when you're looking for people and your messaging.
0: I agree with you completely. And I think that hiring hiring managers make mistakes on that. I agree. They, they want to see deep experience in a certain area as opposed to uh, looking overall at a person's
2: success. Yes. Yes. And and I will have to say, I mean, did it make it easier for me as a, fin- you know, coming out of the financial markets to recruit for financial services? Yes. Because I knew what a back office operations person did. I knew what a series seven was. You know, all of those things were very helpful, but I didn't know what Java was or Cassandra or Hadoop. And mm-hmm. I did my research. So I think also you need to take a step back and figure out where you like and where your passion is. And here's, a, here's one thing that I did learn from a gentleman in our business who's amazing. I look up to, and he's one of the best uh, sourcers that I know in our business, Glenn Kathy. He always states, you know, sound competent. You don't, I don't need to code in Java to recruit a Java person. But if I know how to talk the talk and the candidate knows I know my stuff, they're going to work with me and ask questions. I always ask them questions. And I always say, well, I don't know what Cassandra or Kafka mm. is or Kafka or I don't even know if I say it properly, but I tell them, <laughs> tell me what you're working well, Like, what are you using those tools for? And then I learn. So I agree. And then there's the hardcore managers who are like, no, I need a healthcare recruiter. They need to know healthcare. Mm-hmm. Well, I disagree. I don't think they do. It's helpful, but you can learn how to recruit in healthcare.
0: Absolutely. I, I don't know how many conversations I've had with hiring managers about, let's talk about how important someone being smart is. <laughs> someone, the, the ability to learn that you know if, if we've got that in a candidate may end up being more important than deep experience.
1: Absolutely. That's Attributes first. Mm-hmm. Yep.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: So Angie, we are running on time. Any last words that you think people should know about anything but around the sourcing function for their job search?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think we covered a lot during this call and, and, and it was great to get your insights too, ladies and thank you so much for having me. I really just think that, you know, bottom line is take a step back and take the time to find out what's important to you and incorporate that. So if you're a job seeker, take a step back, look at your profile, listen to some of the things that were said on this call today and do that. And then from the sourcing and recruiting function, take a step back also and don't be that recruiter or sourcer who spams. Google the word recruiters are and you'll you'll know what I'm talking about. I mean, do some Mm -hmm. of those things and take the time to always incorporate that human element. Their tools, the technology, all that stuff is out there, but at the end of the day, people work with people. Little kindness goes a
0: long way, right?
2: Correct. Absolutely. And I couldn't agree with you more on that, Kat. You know, these people are looking for jobs. So take that pressure out of them by being kind and polite to them and and, you know, holding their hand through the process. It makes makes a huge difference. Look at my my friend. Fifteen years ago I got her a job and she's still my friend and she sends me business like crazy. Awesome. This (laughs) is awesome. Yeah.
1: Well, Angie, I cannot thank you enough.
2: Oh my gosh, it was my yeah. pleasure. Thank you. Now, now the sirens. I live in Chicago and now you can hear the sirens.
0: Uh, <laughs> well, that's okay. That just makes it real. Angie, thank you so much for your time today. How can folks find you if they want to reach you?
2: Oh my gosh, I'm very loud on social media. So feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, Angie Veros, my uh, Facebook. I also am, am I'm loud on Facebook and any kind of social media. On Facebook, you can find me as Angie Veros Angelopoulos. We didn't talk about that, but I am Greek and Angelopoulos is my married name. Twitter, Angie Veros. Uh, I'm not big on Instagram, but you can you just Google me and you'll find me. And I'm happy to connect with anybody, uh, anybody looking for advice, uh, looking for a job, any, any, any way that we can network and learn from each other. And I'm hoping to learn from people as well. So if someone's out there doing something that's awesome and unique and whatever, definitely, uh, let me know. Awesome. Yep. So thank you so much, Angie. Wonderful. Thank you, Kat. Thank you, Liz. I, uh, I really enjoyed it. And thank you, John. Thanks, Angie. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye.
1: Kat, that wraps up another episode of real job talk. If you th- they want to find us, where can they reach us?
0: I am Kathleen Nelson-Troyer on LinkedIn, at Daily Cat on Twitter, and Daily Cat on Instagram as well. Yes,
1: and I am Liz Bronson on LinkedIn, and Liz B Consult on Twitter, and they can always, always, always send us questions, comments, concerns, topics
0: at RealJobTalk at Gmail.
1: You can also tweet to us at RealJobTalk, or you can find us on Facebook and or Instagram at Real Job Talk Show.
0: And there you have it. Thanks so much for listening this week. What a great uh, chat we had with Angie. Awesome.
1: Very good. Thanks so much.
0: Bye-bye.